Designing an SUV for the electric age means redesigning what an SUV can be. Introducing the Polestar 3. Designed to go farther with up to 300 miles of range. Polestar 3. Designed to protect with advanced safety systems. Designed to look and sound like nothing else on the road. It's time you move up to Polestar. What are you waiting for? Polestar 3, the SUV for the electric age. To learn more and design yours today, visit PolestarColumbus.com. Polestar 3. It's time has come. Peace, peace, everyone. This is your girl, Sequoia Blue. We are back here with another episode. Today, we have a special guest. We have Susie Gold in the house, and we are excited to hear about her journey and her book. So let's get into the first question, everybody. Describe a moment when you allowed your intuition to lead you. Well, wait, first, I have to say, like, what is with the colors, right? You're Sequoia Blue, and I'm Susan Gold. We sound like a cheerleading team or a pom-pom. Yes, we do. <laughs> Woo! I know, right? Because that's and, and it stands out that way. Because Sequoia Blue is actually my stage name. So, but Sequoia is my my original name, but Blue is my stage name. So, beautiful life, unique entertainment. <laughs> that's what it stands for. Oh my gosh! Well, you asked me about my intuition. You want a moment yeah. where my intuition led me. So. Wow, there have been so many, but I think the ultimate, the perfect storm moment of my intuition leading me, I was in a marriage with a narcissist and I didn't know I was, and I didn't want my marriage to fail. And we had a young son about 10. And even though I knew the expiration date was well past due, I was trying to hang in there. And I was trying to hang in by making him accountable through what's called a post-nuptial agreement. We got the last point and I thought, yay, our marriage is going to be saved. And he folded his arms and his eyes went in those cold, like lizard-like slits. And he said, I'm hiring an attorney and I'm filing for divorce. And that intuitive voice came right over my right shoulder, clear as a bell, and said, this is the universe doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And I held on to that message for the calendar year it took for me to write him his six-figure check and have him go on his way to his next source of supply. And it was really, really mind-bending and blowing and it really propelled me into a whole new place in my life i was living in a new zip code so i'm really grateful that i heard that intuitive voice and heeded the call yes that's important because intuition is like the god's way or the universe way of telling us something so i'm happy that you were able to get out of that and we all have it we all have that intuition even when you think you don't oh it's in there it's just probably shellacked and shoved into a compartment somewhere yeah because some people don't know how to find their intuition like what advice do you give someone that maybe can't they don't know how to tap in as they would say or tap into their higher self I think it's natural for us and we're encouraged to like stay on that little hamster wheel and keep running like a dutiful little human being. So I just ask that people just settle in their chairs and just breathe. And then maybe put a hand on their solar plexus, which is top of the rib cage, bottom of the heart area, the solar plexus. 
And then just sitting there and breathing with them for a moment, like tones it all down. And then sometimes I have them say either out loud or silently to themselves, I'm okay. I'm okay. That affirmation. Yeah. And then it gets quiet and they feel safe. And from that point, some of my clients have heard their intuition right off the bat. It's really amazing. But others are just soothed by that. And then they're able to, to be quiet a little longer and then they'll get in touch with it. Others, I have them write, do automatic writing. I, I say, okay, 21 days, get out a notepad anytime you want, but just write whatever comes off the pen. And they get frustrated, you know, because a lot of what comes out first is, you're so wonderful, you're amazing, everything's okay. <laughs> they don't think that's great. They don't think that's their soul voice speaking. And it certainly is. And then they get even deeper messaging as they go go on through. And these are tools that I've totally used. They're in the back of my book in the appendix. There's a workbook back there. I dumped in all the tools that helped me to pass it along. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So what what do you recommend for someone with clinical depression? You know, because a lot of people have what they call, what are the new words now they're saying? Neurodivergent, all these new things coming out. And people just have plain old depression and, and all these things. Like, they were like, oh, I can't do meditation. I can't do this. Like, do you feel like it's a mindset thing? Or Well, I do believe that regardless of your quote unquote diagnosis, you are able to meditate. It may not be formally sitting on a cushion with your legs crossed and you don't need to. I mean, I did that for years because that's how I learned, but now I can just watch, you know, a tumbleweed blow down the prairie and that's a meditation for me. It's just quieting and focus. I love that. And also it might take an eat, pray, love vacation, <laughs> you know, the eat, pray, love movie and just going away for a little bit. Emphasis on the eat. <laughs> yes. I mean, I get happy for me when I'm down. If I eat a piece of food, some good fish or something, like I got in a trout recently, I'm having a good time. Like I'm just happy, the little things. But sometimes some people, the little things don't make them happy. But I think if people start looking at the little things, they could actually get it can actually calm them down but some people might actually need some medication i guess like certain people but so i do kind of i guess believe in the science in some way some way well i'm not a i'm not a doctor and i don't play one on tv for sure sequoia but i did go through a 10-year period where i was off and on um antidepressants they said my serotonin level was low and they needed to boost it back up so i could be on an even playing field just to do the work And I'm grateful that I had that experience. Um, But ultimately, after that 10-year period, I didn't use antidepressants anymore. I didn't need them because I learned about my illness. I learned about clinical depression. I learned about the signs. And I hate to go back to that divorce, but the last two months were really brutal. Um, When a narcissist knows the gig is up, it gets pretty intense and violent. And so I was getting suicidal. I was getting more and more depressed because as an empath like you, I turn it back in on myself. 
And so what was important for me was to set up a friend for each day of the week, seven friends, one for each day of the week. And I would call and check in to the friend with the friend that's assigned that day. If I was suicidal and that friend wasn't available, I committed to calling the next friend on the list until I got somebody alive and it could talk it through. And that's how I made it for the last two months of that divorce process. And I staved off that suicidal depression, but I had a lot of experience before I used that methodology. Mm. That makes sense. Oh man. That's one way. That's one way. Um, so the next question is, how has your experience in endurance athlete impacted your life? Because it seems you're like a, a, a cool athlete. Like, how did that impact your life? Well, um, I wasn't always an athlete, but I took dance when I was three on. And then I got into running, like long distance running late in college. And I lived in New York City out of college. And there was a club there called New York Roadrunners Club. And they were famous at the time. And it was before all this long distance marathoning was chic. And the head of the club created the New York City Marathon. So that was my first marathon. And then I did a few more. I did one in L.A. And it was funny. I, I finished the marathon and I had to go cover a film junket for AMC over at the Four Seasons. <laughs> there in my running stuff, like in interviewing Orlando Bloom about some movie. But um, wow. any, anyway, I just, this is my mentality. Like I thought, okay, too many injuries just running. I'm going to spread it out to three sports. I'm going to become a triathlete. So I started swimming, biking, running three sessions of each, each week. And then ultimately I was having trouble on the bike with injuries. So I decided, okay, maybe I got to hang up my triathlon clothes and just focus on master swimming, you know, cause swimming, it's not supposed to injure you, right? <laughs> no. But... <laughs> Could happen. <laughs> yeah, I took it. I took it out. Like I was in that pool 5.30 a.m. Swimming 4,000 meters before it was 7 a.m. I was getting training from Olympic athletes and world champions. I was throwing kettlebells to gain strength. I was walking my dog around the block three times a day. And I was going to hot yoga. <laughs> on top oh, wow. Of I like hot yoga. I do too, but this is insanity. And I see a yeah. lot of us, I see a lot of us doing it. And what I was doing was numbing. I was, I was using sport like a heroin addict would grab heroin. And finally, I knew it, I knew it was off, but I couldn't stop. And I didn't want to stop. And finally, the truth was forced upon me. And I literally could not walk around my block. I was in chronic pain for two years. And I didn't go the Western medicine route because I knew, you know, because of my age, they'd just say, okay, cut, insert titanium, let's go, IL-3. And I didn't want to do that. So I've yeah. just been on a journey and I found healing. I can actually walk again. I can hike. I can bicycle. I, can, I can't run, but, but I'm okay with that. Well, that's a blessing. That's a blessing that you was able to self-heal and find your way. And, and sometimes, like I said, it all goes back to the mindset. Like our mind can control our body so much. I've learned that. It's an ebb and flow for some people and for me. But it... I, I think mindset, yes, that's a big piece of it. 
but I think the heart set is as important. There's such an emotional component and I had to learn like self-love and that little inner being in there that's walked through all this trauma that this whole schoolroom on earth can manifest. So that's been as important, if not more important, Sequoia, for me. I love that. So what was that journey to finding self-love for someone out there that just can't figure out how to love themselves? You know, a lot of people are getting things done in their body and a lot of people are dying and stuff because of trying to look a certain way. I mean, it's just been, I don't know, I'm just so curious. I see so much going on and I just get, I feel bad. Like, wow, is this, what is the perfect weight or what is the perfect this or that? Like, what did you recommend for that, for them to find their self, their self? And you are in the city for that. I mean, it's got to look picture perfect in Vegas. And I was in LA and really saw the mutilation happening because the value and the self-worth is coming from the outside in. And the value and the self-worth has to come from the inside out. And that's such a painful and difficult lesson for a lot of us to learn, especially when we've been programmed by our systems, by the education system, by the healthcare system. I mean, it's just broken. It is, and the social media crap blowing it up big. It's really a lot to say, hey, I surrender. And I haven't had any work done. I want to know who I'm going to be. And I've earned all these wrinkles and these age spots. I've earned that. And I feel really grateful that I can really live in my own skin. But that's been a process. You know, I had to get sober first. I had to work through depression. I had to extricate myself from narcissistic abuse. And then I had to really understand my authentic power as a human being. And that's really when I started to open and feel compassion, not just for you, Sequoia, because I'm really good at that, but compassion and love for myself. I love that snap snap, you know, and then just not being so hard on ourselves because, you know, this world, you just feel like you want to just go over the top and I'm not doing enough, not doing enough, but you, they are doing enough. It's just, you know, and it's okay to kind of be ambitious, but just having that, that vibe of just saying, okay, I'm on my way there, not there yet, but I can get there as long as you don't give up. That's, that's how I look at it. And that can help people love themselves more if it is about success only you know they don't really care so much about their looks they might just be like i need to make this type of money but if it's like as long as you're getting there i just think that that's important for people to understand you know so um let's talk about your book like that's it seems so interesting because a lot of people are going through trauma i've had childhood trauma a lot of people have had trauma trauma toxic toxic family friends like what made you write that book and what's your favorite chapter well, the title's Toxic Family, Transforming Childhood Trauma into Adult Freedom. And it was not my title, Sequoia. My title was Magical Illumination, because that's what it's been for me all these decades of work. But it's not really what the book says. So my publisher is like, hey, <laughs> that's not the title. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the story inside the book. People looking for magical illumination are going to be a little flipped out. Um, 
Anyway, I was told in 2007 by an Irish seer that I had a book to write and I just shoved that under the carpet so fast. I was like, oh, I don't want to go through all that for a PR tool. And then two more intuitives told me back to back in 2019 that I had books to write. And the third one said I had three books to write. So I was like, oh, I better jump on this before it's like a library and it really mushrooms. Um, but I didn't think that I really had that interesting of life or life experience to really share. but. I thought, okay, I'll give it a whack. And um, I was brutal. I made myself sit at the computer for 15 minutes a day, whether I had something to write or not. And wow. <laughs> it gave me... It While many kids are making their holiday wish lists, the patients at Nationwide Children's Hospital are simply wishing they could be home. But you have the power to make their stay a little brighter. The moment you make a donation, the butterflies on the lawn at Nationwide Children's light up for our patients to see. And that gift brings joy funds research, and the world's finest care. Please, light up the lawn, light up a life. Give now at nationwidechildrens.org slash give. Gave me the first pass of the manuscript, but I didn't really feel connected with it. And a really wise mentor friend of mine said, you know what, go back in there from little Susie's point of view, from that little one that's walked through it all with you. Write it from her point of view. And it, it didn't change the black and white on the pages so much, Sequoia, but it really changed how I connected and felt about it. And I think it was when the publisher sent the galley, which is the final, like it's the final draft, the final draft version before it goes to print. So like, if you need to change things, that's it, right? So you read it one final time and you're kind of spent, you're kind of ready for it to be over anyway. But I read, um, I read chapter 12, which I think was, I think tells the story of, of the divorce. And I finished that chapter and for a split second, this is what went through my mind. Man, that woman is powerful. Wow. And then I realized, oh, that's you, silly. <laughs> wow. That it, you had a moment. You had like this aha, this epiphany moment. That's amazing. It's, it's just something about, I guess, seeing it on the paper and just rereading it. You're like, oh pretty strong I'm pretty resilient that's amazing and then you did 15 minutes a day you worked on it 15 minutes a day that's that's good advice for someone that is having writer's block and stuff like that so that's I, I guess so I guess so but I think what I've learned now especially that my my the shellac and the muck and the duct tape and the safety pins that were you know holding my heart together that's starting to dissipate. I don't think that I would suggest that again. I mean, yes, it 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 was a very disciplined approach. But I think next time, and I'm writing down the ideas for the second book, Sequoia. I've been encouraged over okay. and over. Um, <laughs> but I think this time I'm gonna just do it because it feels good. Like it feels fun and I want to connect. Like I want to type on the computer and I want to move words around and I want to let things flow from above me and come through out onto the page. So yeah, I think I'm going to take that, that trajectory this time around. Yay. So what's your next book is going to be about? Like what, what's the next five? So I'm playing around. Um, 
There was a lot of intuition that kept me going and in my life, and it actually helped me stay on the planet. Um, so I'm thinking maybe writing something about intuition, being an empath and coming from heart, because I didn't understand what that was really. And, you know, people like use it like it's a buzzword, but what does it really mean? Like in the fabric of your being? So I may toy around with that, but we'll see. That's a good idea, you know, because a lot of people are empaths out here and they're trying to figure out, or either they don't know they're empath and they're trying to figure out what's wrong with them. So I think that'll be a great book because I don't, I haven't seen too many books out about that. So that'd be a good idea. Um, I'll let you know how it goes. Yes, let me know. Maybe I'll have you come back on here. Um, so tell me about like I know you work with some celebrities. You work with Andy Warhol. Oh my and, like, what the, oh. That has to be interesting. <laughs> it was such a great story. So I used to sit on my beanbag in my basement on my belly and watch Barbara Walters. And I wanted to go to New York City and be like Barbara Walters. And I did go to New York City. I worked at ICM, which is a very large global talent agency, but I wasn't making enough money. So I started exercise training, personal training on the side. And Barbara became my client. So I rang her doorbell one morning at 7 a.m. She's like, Susan, what's going on with you? There's something not to get in here. And she got it out of me. I'd been sexually harassed in the workplace the day before, like literally. My boss had a sexual addiction, he used to call young girls and I would have to leave while they were there. And then he tried the same thing on me and it was horrendous. So she got it out of me and she said, I'm coming with you and we're gonna confront this guy together. Okay, Barbara, I'll handle it. Oh my God, Barbara. So I, yeah, she's awesome. So I did confront him. He did fire me promptly. Oh, and goodness. I had, I had two and a half months of cash in the bank. I was newly sober. I had just extricated myself from an abusive relationship where the man held the purse strings. And I'm ashamed to say that, but that was the truth. And Barbara said, you know, my fiance needs an assistant. He runs a film company. Why don't you work for him? And I said, you know, I, I'm so grateful, but I just, I can't be an assistant. I knew in my heart, I couldn't yeah. serve like that after that experience. And I was just, I was done with that role before I even started. So I started, I launched my own talent brokerage firm. I didn't know what I was doing. I was 25. I was living in New York by myself in a little studio apartment where you had to like do one of these things to like see what what the weather was wow <laughs> i can imagine new york is <laughs> so and, expensive um, for small spaces <laughs> oh my god it was yeah it was insane then and that was a long time ago anyway i somehow was connected with donnie deutsch he's like an entrepreneur and an iconic television host now but back then he was running his dad's agency ad agency so he said you know i really want andy warhol for the pontiac dealers do you think you can get them i'm like i don't know i'll try so i was wow. ringing the factory and dialing and nobody was picking up and back then you know that was it you had to call him on the phone um and so i took the train down there from the Upper West Side to Murray Hill, where Andy's Brownstone was, and I knocked on the door. Wow. <laughs> that shows persistence. You're not playing. I love it. That's a go-getter. <laughs> and Fred, Andy's manager, his business manager, answered the door. And I told him why I was there, and he said, okay, great. Come back tomorrow at the same time, and I'll let you talk to Andy. So I was really scared, but I knew that if Fred's business manager was going to let me have an audience with Andy, there must have been a chance. 
So I showed up the next day. I'm sitting in the foyer, waiting, waiting, waiting. I was so nervous. I wanted to puke, but like, I was like, I'm going to do this. So the double doors open and it's dark. Like I can't. And Fred sticks his head out and he said, Andy, we'll see you now. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So in the center of the room, there's this like very sharp pin spotlight coming down on this platinum hair that's going like 17 different directions. Oh my goodness. There he is. He's scribbling like with such intensity, like with colored pencils, like ferocious scribbling. And there's these three pugs, you know, those dogs with the smushed faces. Oh yeah. They're so cute. Yeah. They were running around the studio. And so I go into my pitch. He's not listening. All he cares about are the pugs. And they like tug on his pants, like, and he picks them up and he holds them like babies. And it's about the pugs. It's not about me. He makes no eye contact at all. Finally, he looks up. It's the first time he makes eye contact with me, Sequoia. Oh my God. He said, now really, why should I do this? still, And I took a breath and I said, because you can have the pugs in the shot with you. Good one. And he said, okay, I'll do it. And that was the deal that was like my claim to fame. I just became known for matching celebrities with brands, convincing celebrities to do things they would (laughs) never do otherwise. And it led me into television producing. That is amazing. Like the persistence, that's important. The persistence. I've only met one other person like that in my life where they're just, they just didn't take no for an answer. They'll call every day. They'll go to the house. They don't care. I mean, I like that. That's an amazing story. And do you still do that? You still do that now? I did it for many years for a long, long time, but I don't do it any longer. It's, it it was really fun for a while, but then, um, what happened was like the celebrity platforms sort of got a little frayed with all the influencers that came in. And in 2007, I was making deals for the first YouTube influencers, which was really fun. And I really had a great time, but then I got drugged back into TV producing again. And I just kept doing that until I couldn't take reality TV anymore. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's another world. I'm like some shows I watch just because I'm curious, but yeah, that's a whole nother baby. And it's, um, some people are like, uh, uh-uh, I'm not doing reality TV. I get it, I get it. But you're in a great place now, so that's amazing. Yeah. Oh. So my next question is: so I saw that you do uh, retreats and stuff. Like, when are you doing your next retreat? What do you? What is your treat retreats about? It's invitation. You get provide food and stuff. Yeah, so I moved from sunny Southern California to Northwest rural Montana, and it is so beautiful here. And it's like the energy is so pristine. It's so, it works on you. And I wanted to bring others here to experience it. So the retreats have been in Montana and they're pretty exclusive now. I'm hoping that I can expand them in the future, but we'll see what happens. I also do digital workshops and then I, I do what I love, which is coaching one-to-one. Oh, I love it. 
yeah, I could, yeah, y'all got a book with Susan. She she's really good. That's <laughs> that's super cool. Cause I, I I've never been to retreat before. But actually, I want to go to one. So I'll go to one one of these days. Cause I think it's important to get away, get around people that's like minded, same frequency. So that's exciting. yeah. It changes. It changes your perspective. It really does. I did a lot of retreats. I did a lot of silent meditation retreats. Those were painful. I'd be like day three and you don't speak and you don't make eye contact. And I'd, I'd be so sore from all the meditation sessions. And I'd be like, why did I do this? Why didn't I go to the beach? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And and then you can have some ayahuasca at the retreat, though. No. <laughs> That's a big God. thing right now. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. You know, I think it's great for people that really learn from those experiences. But I knew since I'm little that, that, you know, the mind altering stuff is not for me. It's like super dangerous. I just get it intuitively. And I, I would be one to trip out and like fall off the mountain. <laughs> me too. I can't do it. I can't. Do, I don't think I, I don't think I can do it. At one point I was like, Oh, I'll try it. Cause I was reading Chelsea, uh, handler's book and she said she went and did try ayahuasca with her friends and it sounded crazy in this in the book i was like uh she's a little bit more contained than how i would be because i soak in everything so i was like i don't know <laughs> i'm like i'd rather stick with like you know wine <laughs> i did um i did a very many native um american sweat lodges and that was really amazing yeah i had really positive experiences i mean just like with the ayahuasca you have to have someone who is a leader who is very experienced and and that's where i get a little concerned because it's kind of becoming a commercial thing to do now so yeah, yeah. it is you gotta get a shaman i think they call them shamans and stuff i would like to meet a shaman one day that'd be cool have a conversation oh you will you definitely will meet a shaman yeah right i think next you, <laughs> i think you've been a shaman in a past life you have that kind of energy mm-hmm. i think so yeah. too and I think mm-hmm. I, I think so because I think about it and I'm like, wait a minute, why do I know this about this person or what? It, I can just feel stuff. Like if you go on a date, I could be like, he's gonna bring flowers. And I don't know why, but he's just gonna bring them. And then he bought the flowers. I was like, what? I don't even know the guy. So it's just it's those things. I'm like, wait a minute, my little psychic. <laughs> and I told him too. I said, listen, I knew you were gonna bring me flowers. I don't know what it was, but I knew you were gonna bring me flowers. And he was like, he was like, um, you must be a psychic or something. How did you really know? I was like, I don't know. I just felt it. I just can't. I can't really describe it you know because it, it's but yeah you you're a good reader man y'all gotta check out susan she's a freaking real reader very clairvoyant i love it um so I, uh before we go out i want to i want to ask you um, a few more questions so what would you tell to your younger self what would you say to your 21 year old self i would say 21 year old self i'd like to say 21 be kind to yourself and slow down it's not a race and you're enough that's the best advice ever and what's a saying or quote that you go by (laughs) you're not gonna like this no i love them all (laughs) i say this all the time you are fluffed up so instead of that f u k word i i put l 
in there, fluffed up. And I say it all the time and people think it's magical and they take it and they say it themselves. So we're going to get rid of that energy that that F-U-K word brings and we're going to be saying fluffed instead. I like that you are fluffed up. So that means that you're fluffed up, you got stuff to do. What's that mean? That's that. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, when I was sitting there thinking about it, fluffed up. We got t-shirts. We got t-shirts to make. Yeah, it's really a gentle way, you know, to to flip that paradigm on its head, and it's fun. Yeah, I love it. I like that. <laughs> you are fluffed up. Okay, that's one. I love it. So, where can people uh, support you, find you, book with you, and all that good stuff? Only if you're drawn, just go to susangold.us. It's all there. Snap, snap. And I'll add that in the show notes, everyone, so you don't have to catch it while you're driving or something. <laughs> so I want to thank you for coming on the show. And I had so much fun speaking with you. And I know the guests had so much fun listening to your stories and, and probably relate to you so much in different ways. And um, I want to thank the guests for listening. Subscribe and share. And be safe out there, everyone. Please, peace and don't get fluffed up. <laughs> While many kids are making their holiday wish lists, the patients at Nationwide Children's Hospital are simply wishing they could be home. But you have the power to make their stay a little brighter. The moment you make a donation, the butterflies on the lawn at Nationwide Children's light up for our patients to see. And that gift brings joy, funds research, and the world's finest care. Please, light up the lawn, light up a life. Give now at nationwidechildrens.org give.